When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. How's it going? And welcome back to episode 123 on the Wire. Proud member of the Picturelist Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the wire pod. You can file, follow me at hasty Kevin and you can follow Adam who is not here this week. Unfortunately at 80 grade, that's all spelled out. And instead of Adam this week, you have myself back. I'm loving to be here. Been missing too many weekends this season, but with Adam, out of town for the weekend on vacation. I am welcoming back Lucas Beery, formerly of Dr. Roto, still doing when they have a chance, the Lucas Fantasy Baseball Podcast with Lou Landers. And he's got his own site up and going, DC Dynasty. Lucas, how you doing and what's been going on? Awesome to be back with you here, Kevin, and appreciate the nice intro there. Yeah, I've been working on my fab articles on DC Dynasty this year and really just trying to give the readers a nice overall glimpse at what their 15-team fab market's going to look like. Don't really dive as much into the 12-teamers, but I try to work in a little bit of Dynasty angle in there too. And as far as the Lucas Baseball Podcast, we've been on a bit of a break right now. I had a lot of home renovations and planning on bringing that back at some point, but that's where we're at now, but excited to get a prefab look here at all these players and hopefully help out the listeners a little bit this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Coming out of the all-star break, it's, I think for myself anyway, in recent years, I have found that if I'm doing what I want to do in fab, the couple of weeks leading up to the all-star break, then I don't have a lot going on this week as long as my team stays healthy over the weekend. How do you feel about that? I think I have a cer- certain rosters where I feel the same way. And then I have other rosters where I need to make a few changes here and there. So like anything you do your show, I do my article. I feel excited about a few guys. And then you look at a roster or two and you're like, well, actually, he really doesn't work here. So that's just the way it is. You, your bidding price is going to vary based on how bad your team need is, who he's replacing and, how badly you need that category. Yeah, it's just every, everything is so different. It's just one of those things. Yeah, definitely. Let's jump right into it. A few news and notes here to look at. Pretty light as we are recording on Friday evening. And so some games are off and running for the, the second half, even though over half of the season has been over. But we like to call it the second half after the All-Star break. Fairly light to get started. Hopefully it stays light by the time this drops on Sunday. A cup, One quick note about a couple of guys that it seems like we're okay. Luis Robert was, there was a concern after the first round of the Home Run Derby on Monday night. I believe it was a calf, but he was in the lineup on Friday. So that's good. And Jordan Romano reported lower back tightness during the all-star game and he was going to pitch off a mound before friday's game 
and then they were going to determine his availability for the weekend after that took place. Are, are you concerned with either of these guys? It seems like, to me, it seems like nah, everything, they were just being extra precautious for the exhibition stuff, and they're probably good to go. Yeah, I think it was out of an abundance of caution, but certainly something to continue to monitor. So that's where I'm at with both of these topics. Yeah, yeah, I think that one's pretty pretty cut and dry for mo- most everybody. Heading out to San Francisco, Anthony Desclafani starting is going to start a rehab assignment and is set to rejoin the San Francisco rotation next week. How does that affect not only your interest in him, but possibly the rest of San Francisco's rotation? Man, that is a good question. That rotation has been very tilting to have to deal with predicting the different starting pitchers roles has just been quite a task and it's changed quickly where I remember Alex Wood was put into the bullpen temporarily and then come back as a starter and vice versa for Ross Stripling. To be honest, I wasn't sure I had a chance to start Alex Wood in a league this weekend and he was not confirmed for Sunday. I think that was still TBD. I'm not sure who's going to get bumped out, but I do think Desclafani would get that role over Ross Stripling. Alex Wood, I think he would stay in there too. So perhaps tripling shuffles back to the bullpen. But what do you think, Kevin? Yeah, I think it it's crazy. Even with Wood and Stripling, they only have four starters listed on roster resource, along with Logan Webb and Alex Cobb. So I think they need him. And so he'll slide back in, right back in there when available. I had the same decision to make with Alex Wood in multiple leagues. And I think in a couple of spots, I didn't have any more middle relievers. Like I I like to slide in there in that situation for some teams. And so Alex Wood is in there and I'm hoping he gets that start on Sunday in other leagues. I did mention where I had other options. So yeah, I am with you a hundred percent. It's been crazy. And typically with that ballpark, with the way the San Francisco starting rotation typically performs as a whole, we're usually excited about these guys. And now all of a sudden this year, Alex Wood's got some availability out there in some leagues and Ross Stripling's available in places. And it's really, I think as used to as we are with these guys pitching so well, especially at home, I think you, you said it perfectly. So it's a weird year for the San Francisco rotation. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And looking at Sean Manaya, his pitch count's been a little bit too low for him to just get that starting nod. But yeah, I guess Desclafani will just slot back into that rotation and then everyone else can just stay put. If we head down to their rival down in Los Angeles, the Dodgers signed Jake Marisnik to a major league deal. Are you interested at all? If I was in an NL only league, I guess you'd have to consider it, but that's probably the extent of where I'm at with them. I think if they're able to make him into a fifth outfielder, that's probably a decent win for them. I'm a little I'm a little surprised they decided to have him in there over Johnny DeLuca, who's a very intriguing solid defensive outfielder who could be versatile in a few different roles coming off the bench or pinch hitting, pinch running here and there. So deciding to have an older veteran like Marisnik over DeLuca, I kind of question that. I also wonder if they're trying to protect DeLuca's trade value since impact-wise on the ball, it was really low, 84 mile-an-hour exit velocity for DeLuca. So maybe they just wanted Marisnik in there because he'd 
just be a better off the bench guy and they want to maximize each roster spot, but it was a weird move. Yeah, I agree. And probably short side of platoon guy. Dodgers use those guys, so they're he he will get some plate appearances, but not what we're looking for and just not something I'm interested in. And I agree. It, it's curious to bring in the older guy over the younger guy at this point, especially with the, the way that AL West or NL West, excuse me, is playing out so far. Heading to the AL West, Oakland. So this is a little more exciting than our first few notes. Not as, as exciting as we have had in past weeks. It seems like every week we've had all these top prospects coming up and it is happening again. Oakland is giving us Tyler Soderstrom and Zach Geloff. Which of these guys or both are you most interested in for Fab on Sunday evening? Because they they will, if not Friday, Saturday, probably get in the game. They should both be available in NFBC formats for Fab on Sunday. Yeah, so looking into both of these players, Soderstrom is the better overall prospect, but he's been quite young for the level. He's not even 22 years old yet, and he's already debuting as a kind of a catcher, DH type. So they really expedited him up through the minor leagues quickly. A 55 future value prospect always catches my eye, and he has a 70-grade raw power, but his plate skills are very poor, so I think he has a lot of volatility. Tepid interest in Soderstrom, but a lot of upside for power, and he could pull a little bit of a Yonner Diaz where he gets that catcher eligibility, and if nobody's paying attention to him, you can get him with a few games left six, seven, eight games of catcher eligibility. Maybe you can sneak him on your roster if that's how Oakland plans to use him because he is first base only in NFBC. So overall, I probably have more interest in Soderstrom, but I think Geloff, if he comes quite a bit cheaper, I would be willing to take a stab on him. What do you think about Soderstrom, Kevin? Yeah, I have him on some of my, at least a couple of my dynasty teams. And so I'm excited in that aspect. Because of that first base only eligibility, I'm interested, but I'm not super excited for redraft leagues for this season. I think we've had so many of these guys. You mentioned DS in Houston. We have Henry Davis out in Pittsburgh playing in the outfield, but catcher eligible. And Melendez has been that way since last season in Kansas City. So it's going to be really curious to see which of all these young guys are catcher eligible next season and how that affects their value even in dynasty leagues going forward yeah these are great prospects as catchers are they so good (laughs) are they such good prospects as position players yeah i actually do feel like so soderstrom could elevate himself into corner infielder in a 15 team territory within a year or two i think like i said it's a lot of volatility to start off with since he's so young and he has a lot of swing and miss with a 27% K rate, but he has more games caught than DH in the minors this year, so that's at least pretty good for him to get the 10 games hopefully fairly soon. And like I said with Yonner Diaz, he was floating in a lot of my leagues, and I went extremely catcher-heavy like you tend to do too, so I couldn't really get him because you're not going to put him in over an established guy, but just keep an eye out for him. Even in a 12-team league, I think he'd be worth a pickup if he – approaches that catcher eligibility. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm actually carrying three catchers in multiple leagues, and it wasn't a plan, but with 
the like you said, I tend to go catcher early during draft season. And then on top of that, we get Henry Davis, Bo Naylor, these guys all coming up. And I didn't want to just let him go for nothing. And I got him really inexpensively. Mm-hmm. So I, over the past couple of weeks, I've been playing best matchups and holding on to them. Of course, when I need that roster spot, I'm dropping a catcher. But for a couple of weeks, I have had three catchers on some teams, and that's something I've never done before. Yeah. As far as Zach Geloff, did you want to discuss him a little bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I got a chance to look at him, and one of the selling points from him coming out of the first-year player was that hopefully he could – get to the majors quickly, especially with how Oakland style is and swing and miss another big problem for him there. 28% strikeout rate at triple a. So probably going to go up a little bit in the majors and decent power. But of course, being in the PCL, you've got to take that with a grain of salt, but I liked the 20 steals and 69 games. So that was nice, but this is a much more of a modest prospect compared to Soderstrom. But I think as far as the price goes, if you can get them in for, Less than five bucks. I'm highly interested in that. That's where I'm at with him since his playing time should be completely full, I think. Yeah, that's the thing. I do not think Oakland would have called these guys up if they weren't going to play them. That, that is the advantage. And with the speed and the stolen bases, and right now to be towards the top of most fantasy leagues in, in stolen bases, we're, the leaders in most of my leagues are well over 100 already. Yeah. Somebody that's got 20 on the season thus far in the minors is definitely worth taking a look at for sure. No doubt. So the Phillies placed Josh Harrison on the 10 day injury list, and that was retroactive to July 9th. So he's available to come back later this week and Kristen Pache to the IL as well. Replacing them as drew Ellis and getting the call straight from double a is outfield prospect. Johan Rojas. So what do you think? I think Rojas is probably the main target here for, or at least interest that worth diving into for most fantasy players. What are you looking at here in Philadelphia? Yeah. Rojas is more the interesting guy and defensively he's a 70 outfielder. So that's going to potentially allow him to stick if he can hit his head above water. Again, they have another depth chart kind of situation where there is a little bit of crowding there, but on the base paths, he stole 30 bags in 76 games and had a 361 on base percentage and double a as a 22 year old. So you love to see that paired with the elite defense. Um, Philly definitely needs a spark. I still think they have a solid roster, but with Trey Turner, not living up to his normal elite standards, I still think he could have a nice year, but if they can get a nice spark out of Rojas, there's a possibility he could maintain a role rest of the season on this roster that would be nice because most of the talk i have heard is he's just holding the spot till pache comes back but we know offensively pache hasn't done much at least at the major league level over the past couple of seasons so if rojas could do something more offensively with that defensive prowess you spoke of which is the re- reason pache is in the lineup yeah maybe he could take over the spot and that would be the interest. And I think the fact that short side of the platoon for now, mm-hmm. and when Pache comes back, people are worried about that a little bit. I don't think he's going to cost anything on Sunday evening. 
Yeah, and taking a look at the team, a guy that was held in a lot of NFBC leagues that I really didn't totally understand was Derek Hall. There's no guarantees he really starts to hit. So if he starts to go south and Bryce Harper's ready to play first base, you get an elite potential defensive outfielder in Rojas, throw a dollar or two on him. I like that bet. Even if it doesn't work out, it's a really cheap bet and there's potential for some speed, even if it's at the bottom of the lineup with limited power. Definitely. So this is unrelated, especially for a fab-based podcast. What are you doing with Bryce Harper in leagues where you have him rostered? Right now, he is batting average, run scored, and he might be barely holding his own in RBI. Or excuse me, uh, yeah, in RBI, but only five stolen bases, three home runs. If this, if his name wasn't Bryce Harper, he'd be dropped in every league. Yeah, that is true. And a player like him, I'm not going to bench ever because you don't know when he's going to be able to hit you three home runs or even two home runs and five RBIs. And that's a good week for most players. So even though he's been stalled out, I'm not going to bench a guy like that. So I guess that's where I'm at with Harper. Yeah, I was, I only have him in one league, but I was, I remember thinking, a month ago. Mm -hmm. Wow. Bryce Harper only has three home runs. And now here we are a month later and he's still sitting on those three home runs. He's hitting over 290. He's scoring runs. He's not a zero, but he is detrimental right now in in the power categories. That's true. And in the second half last year before the playoffs, he was a little slow too, but yeah, not worried about it. I think it's just two random groupings that are next to each other with an injury in between. I hope you're right. Even though I only have him in one spot, I hope you're right. <laughs> because he's also a fun player to watch play. So yeah, we need to see him get going. I think that'll do it for our news and notes for this week. Like I said, pretty quiet week here on Friday evening as the games are just getting going today after the All-Star break. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into a little bit, of course, our player recommendations for each category as we go forward but first we need to take a quick break fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss that's why noom has created weight management programs that are made to last noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back. You are listening to On The Wire. I am Kevin Hastings, joined this week by Lucas Beery. Lucas, you play any underdog fantasy? Not a whole lot this year. I did a few best balls before the season started, but yeah, not a whole lot to be honest. The one problem I have with it for me is, and this is one of the stupidest things I've heard of, 
you can play underdog on your phone in Indiana, but if you want to go to the desktop site, it doesn't allow you to do that. That's even crazier than me. Uh, I'm a fan of underdog played it quite a bit when I was on the mainland for a couple of years, but now that I'm back in Hawaii, I'm back to not being able to play it, but underdog fantasy pick them daily contests is the route they are headed for the second half of the season. Similar to betting player props with players and certain statistical plateaus are laid out. You can pick higher or lower on each of the players, anywhere from, it's like a parlay, anywhere between two and five selections. I like it because those, it, you can catch guys in your parlay. Mo, most people would say with first look at underdog that the, the odds don't pay as well as a, a typical parlay. However, that's not necessarily the case because there's not the price that it pays for the number of selections is a set amount. So if an over under on a typical stat, say five and a half strikeouts for a pitcher is minus 150 or minus 150, 160 on many sites, if that selection is available on underdog for the lineup that day, it's the same as any other pick. So that, that's why I enjoy it. It's a pretty good lineup. Like I said, I enjoyed it before I came back to Hawaii. Quick thing here for underdog and all of their daily fantasy play. You can use the pit, our code pitcher list, all capital letters, P I T C H E R L I S T. You receive a 100% deposit match up to $100. And just check the description of this episode for the sign up link and make sure you use the promo code pitcher list when you sign up. Must be 18 or older, 19 in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 in Massachusetts and Arizona, and pre- present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1 800 Gambler or visit www ncpgambling.org in Arizona call 1-800 next step in New York call 1-877-8 hope in Y in Tennessee call 1-800-889-9789 so Lucas Adam I think is brilliant and what he has been doing this season is rather than waiting to the end when people are checking out at the end of the podcast, giving you a chance right here in the middle of the show to to remind everyone where they can find you and the rest of your work you have going on. Oh, absolutely. You can find all of my fantasy baseball stuff on Twitter at LucasBerry33. I tweet out all of my articles and any work that I do there. And right now, during the season, I'm pretty much just doing fab articles every Sunday try to release them before 1 or 2 p.m. Eastern to give people a good 8, 9, 10 hours to check them out, depending on when they come out there. And in the off season, I was able to do position tiers for each and every position, wrote up a few uh, Draft Champions articles as well, since that's one other area of the website that I run is focused on, a little bit of Dynasty and some other formats. And Kevin, interestingly enough, the article that actually got the most views which isn't always the best measure, but it's one measure, I guess, was the deep pitcher article that I wrote. It was starting pitchers I liked after pick 250, and that did really good. So I think in the offseason, whenever I start my articles back up, I'm going to just start looking at the deep pitchers for those DC minds out there that 
or sickos and just get right into that draft room before even ADP is finished is out there or positions are even updated. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's extremely valuable. Yeah. There, there's a ton of us that love to dive right back into, <laughs> to drafting before this season even ends. And we're talking 50 rounds of four leagues that we're not going to be able to make any moves after the draft. So the more information, the earlier, the better for those of us that, that enjoy those drafts and those leagues. A side note, Lucas, last season when he came up, I didn't see anybody out there. There may have been someone, but I didn't see anybody higher on Spencer Steer than you were. And so I'm hoping that carried over for you into this season with the success he's having. <laughs> It's it's funny that you mention him, man, because it just shows you the life cycle of how you feel about a player where I loved him in the minor leagues. And then once he came up, some of his barrel rate and exit velocity and all that stuff withered out a little bit. He didn't quite hit the ball hard enough. And I thought I'm not that interested, which was pretty foolish because it was a half season. But we like to make quick decisions. But thankfully, on my most important dynasty league, we tried to trade him countless times for a draft pick and nobody was interested. Nobody would take you up on it. <laughs> and now he's, we're looking at a potentially top 150, top 200 dynasty guy to some folks out there. So I guess it's better to be lucky than good, but I also need to not change my mind so quickly, I guess, sometimes. No, awesome. I'm glad he worked out for you in at least a league because I, yeah. I just remember that I don't even, I'm not even sure that I knew who he was, but I'm not even sure that I had any interest in him at all until you were talking about him and made me take a second look. So thank you for that. Let's dive into Fab for this week. I think it's really interesting. I believe, including this weekend, we only have 11 Fab runs to go. That may seem like more than it does to me, to, to those that are running low on money. And I'm probably a little lower on money in some leagues than I typically would be at this point in the season. But for the most part, I've stuck to my guns, stuck with my budget. Doesn't mean I haven't been able to snag one of the top guys here and there. I just haven't. There's been guys every week. So I think that's helped out players like me. A lot of people are were out of money very quickly in general. How is your season going with Fab in your leagues? It's one of those things where I'm I'm not necessarily a player that feels good spending too quickly. I like to preserve my budget. And because of that, coming into this year, I knew that I could do good on the $1, 2 and $3 bids at the end of the year so I can be a little more aggressive in the beginning. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be coming out of April with 500 bucks left. I'm not that kind of a spender, but I've spent a little Which bit. Which a lot here. of teams did this year. That's true. That is yeah. true. But yeah, I'm, I would say I'm medium aggressive. So it did allow me the point where I was above most guys in my league. So I could spend a little bit on a Bobby Miller and, and one of the online auctions I'm in on the NFBC, or I could go in on Royce Lewis. Unfortunately, that didn't pan out, but I still thought it was a, a good gamble. So yeah, I'm closer to you than most, but I was aggressive at times here and there. Nice. Nice. So heading into this week with 11 fab periods to go, if we're looking for power, home runs, RBIs, who do you have your eye on? 
One guy that I wanted to mention, he's not really out there in the NFBC realm, but on Yahoo, I can imagine he's out there and in trading leagues. I do like him the rest of the season is Hunter Renfro. Um, based on his ISO isolated power projections, he's north of 225 and almost all the projections. So that's extremely good for power, potentially 12 to 13 home runs over the rest of the season, which is only 60 games for him. So I love Hunter Renfro in a Yahoo league. If you can trade for him for not too expensive, I think he's a fantastic power ad. More playing time coming with Mike Trout injured too. Yeah, absolutely. I'll jump one in here. I know this guy has been talked about quite a bit recently and the roster ship in main events at 96% shows it, but I'm always intrigued by these guys where there's such a steep drop between main event leagues and $350 online championship leagues where he's only rostered 19% as opposed to 96% in the main event. That's Carlos Santana. Started off strong, slowed down, heated up again right before the All-Star break. Pittsburgh does have a six-game week, I believe, and three of them versus left-handed starting pitchers. He is a switch hitter. So I, Carlos Santana, I think, is viable in 12-team leagues if you need power. And if you know he's a streaky hitter, he's one of those guys. We Everybody knows it. And hopefully when you need him is one of the weeks when he gives us a home run or two. Yeah, absolutely. I think that really when I'm – and I only do a handful of 12-team leagues. I do one of the on-the-wire leagues. I love that format that you and Adam run. I really, a lot of the times, obviously I like to play matchups where I can get the maximum amount of games, but I really look a lot of the times at the projections and see the guy's ISO. I especially pay attention if the bad X loves him. And one bonus name I can just toss in real quick is Eugenio Suarez. That's a guy that could go on an absolute monster heater. Older guy at this point, coming up on age 32 and probably isn't going to be that costly in a trade. And the bad X gives him a 218, 14 home runs in 65 games rest of the year with full playing time. So just wanted to throw him in as a quick bonus. Yeah, a guy that's more available, I want to throw out there in deeper leagues anyway, G-Man Choi. He was mm-hmm. back for four games before the All-Star break and hit, hit a home run on Friday. So he's slotting right back in there. Typically better versus right-handed hitters. I don't know how much I will use in this coming week with the multiple lefties they're set to face. But E-Man Choi, when they're facing right-handed pitching, and there's sure to be some weeks where they are coming up, he's available everywhere. 0% rostered in main events. Yeah, I like that. I like that call out there, and he's had a decent career for him. You wouldn't think a whole lot when you hear the name, but... He's a productive player, and Pittsburgh went out and got him for a reason, so good call there, Kevin. Like it. Anybody else you want to bring up for uh, power, home runs, RBIs? Uh, two two real quick guys. We talked about Soderstrom. I would look at Soderstrom in a quarter infield this weekend if I really needed that power, and I was willing to put 15, 20, 25 bucks his way. But Joey Votto is another guy that no matter what format you play, 10-team league, you got to own him. He has eight barrels this year and only 35 batted ball events. And I think that his home park and in a revitalized young team, I think he's all formats viable. I agree. I grabbed him in several places and the, the outcome hasn't been the best. He had two or three home runs his first week back. And then he went an over 
several days and then came back and another three or four home runs in a week. I'm just riding him. I yeah. I don't see a world where Joey Votto is not going to be a part of the fun that is going on in Cincinnati right now. So I'm rolling him out there. Absolutely. That's not great statistical analysis. That's just <laughs> it's the way I feel about Joey Votto and his love of baseball. I don't see him not producing for the fun going on in Cincinnati. If we're shifting to speed, stolen bases, runs scored, who are we looking at this week? I think you should give a look to Zach Geloff. Like I said, I would keep the bids fairly modest. Of course, if he explodes this weekend, you can't do that and win him, but he did have a nice pace as far as his steals. We talked about the long leash he's going to get in Oakland. Certainly, he could come in and get overwhelmed, but if you're playing the spec game, I like Zach Geloff for some chip-in steals here and there. Nice. I'm sure Adam has brought my guy up in the past and probably fairly recently, but he's still so widely available. And after his pretty horrendous start, as was with all Oakland Athletics, he's been getting on base at a nice clip over the last month or so. There is only three games over the past 25 that he did not hit safely. He's out also walking a little bit. He never has walked very much and still not a lot, but 9.8% walk rate on the season. Great for Tony Kemp. We know he doesn't strike out, puts the ball in play. We know he doesn't have any power. His ISO is below 100. But he's got nine stolen bases in 10 attempts on the year, and several of those coming in recent weeks. In fact, he's got six of those nine stolen bases since June 23rd. So when he gets on base, he's taken off now. And a team like Oakland, we know, they're going to let their players do that. They don't care. (laughs) They get on base, they got a green light. Good call out there, absolutely. I think a lot of times when people see Tony Kemp, they look past him, but you brought up some good points why we shouldn't do that. Yeah, he's 38% rostered in 15-team main events, only 5% in 12-team online championships. So there are some possibilities out there, especially in the 12-teamers, but and even over 60% of 15-team leagues where he's available if you need a little speed. And as I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of us, it, it, yes, there's speed coming from more places, but a handful of the dominant guys, it's really top heavy. Yeah. We got this seven or eight guys with over 20 stolen bases. And then it seems like a pretty steady decline. Only a couple with 17 or 18, a couple more in the 14 or 15 range. And then we get down to under 10. It's been pretty top heavy. And I think in spite of the steals being easier to find on a per player basis, we're still going to be scrambling like we, always have been as the last couple of months of the season wind down. Absolutely. And kind of like you said there, there's there's 30 guys that have stolen in between 7 and 11 bags. And if your team didn't end up with a couple of those, you're in trouble. And if you ended up with 4 or 5, you're really happy. So it's when we were talking about what exactly is going to happen with the stolen base rules, there was a lot of different opinions. And I thought that a lot of guys would get like 30 to 40% more and the top guys wouldn't necessarily go over 50, 60. But to be honest, it was just crazy. I feel like we'll have to see some research after the season of what happens, but it's been unpredictable is the way I would put it. 
Yeah, I thought it was going to be the mid-range guys as Same. well. I figured the top-end guys already take all of their opportunities. I was wrong. That's why Adam's research that he does, and everybody should check that out on his his Twitter profile has a link to the research he does on stolen bases and the amount of opportunities that are taken. And the top guys are taking even more. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's not what I expected. That's for sure. Yeah. And then just one more quick point. You've just got players that are so much lower than I would have expected. Mainly Bo Bichette with only three steals this year. I need to see a think piece on why he's so low down there, but that's been bothering me in a few spots. <laughs> yep, definitely. Absolutely. So when we head to opportunity, a few schedule notes. There are several teams with a seven-day week coming up out of the break after all but two teams are playing three games over the weekend. San Diego and Philadelphia with a doubleheader on Saturday. They'll play four games. But to begin the fresh week on Monday, the first full week coming out of the break, Baltimore, Tampa, Detroit, Kansas City, Minnesota, Oakland, Seattle, the Cubs, Cincinnati, St. Louis, and San Francisco all have a seven-day week. Only one team has a two-day week. That's Colorado. They're at home Tuesday and Wednesday versus Houston, and then they go on the road. So I'm going to have a really hard time playing any Rockies at all, all week long. All right. With the opportunity as a category, Lucas, I'm going to start us off because I'm taking the low-hanging fruit here, as Adam (laughs) would say. The Giants have seven games. Three of them are against left-handed starting pitching. Two of those three are at Great American Small Park in Cincinnati. So Wilmer Flores, Luis Matos, and Austin Slater, all three. Varying degrees of availability. The least available would be Matos, 87% rostered in 15-team main events, but available in almost half of 12-team online championships. Wilmer Flores, He's available in a little over half of main events and over 90% of online championships. Austin Slater is available everywhere. I feel like this is the kind of week that Austin Slater fans have been waiting for. This is what he needs. He hasn't quite had the season even in his platoon role that we're used to getting from him. He has been better lately, and I think this week, When he gets to face two left-handed starters in Cincinnati, I think this is exactly what he needs. Yeah, absolutely there. I think you summed it up really well, and some of these fringe giants are exactly who are going to be coveted in the online championship since that's where you'll be able to get most of their lower part of the order guys and certainly even take a look in your 15-teamer since you never know who's going to be floating out there. Absolutely. Always check. Adam loves to say that. Always check. He got that from Sporer, Paul Sporer. Always check, but he loves bringing it up. Interesting, the final week prior to the All-Star break, the Giants faced four left-handed starting pitchers. All three of these guys started all four games. We know we have it in our head that we think that's the way the Giants are. It is the way they are. So these guys will play in those games versus the left-handed starters. Speaking of starters, let's go to pitching. And if we're after wins and Ks, 
Who are you looking for this weekend? So I just wanted to give a name for the more shallow league players like I mentioned with Hunter Renfro. I know a guy like Hunter Renfro is not out there, and this guy's probably not out there in main events, but in 11% of the online championships, J.P. Sears, he's going to be out there. Obviously, you can't expect much in terms of wins, but over the last 60 days, he has a very strong 17.3K minus BB. That's good for top 30 in the majors. And a 103 whip on the season with 93 big strikeouts over 99.2 innings this year. I think he's a really good kind of sneaky player to go get in a trade. And I'm becoming a bigger fan of J.P. Sears this year. I like it. I like it. My my first one that I want to bring up is going to seem crazy, I think, at first. Cole Irvin for Baltimore. And when we're looking at these guys, especially in 15-team leagues that are available, we're looking for good matchups because just highly talented, good pitchers are not available. Cole Irvin has a two-step this coming week. He gets the L.A. Dodgers at home and at Tampa. That seems horrible at first glance, I think, to most people. But Over the past month, Tampa has a 61-team WRC plus versus left-handed pitching, 161 plate appearances, and the only team that has struck out at a higher rate against lefties is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Tampa has struck out 29, excuse me, 29.8% versus lefties. The Dodgers are ninth at 25.7%, and still below average, just a 91 WRC plus as a team versus lefties. So these matchups aren't as horrendous as it looks at first glance. And therefore, I think Cole Irvin is going to be an extremely inexpensive option and kind of a sneaky option for this coming week. Yeah, I certainly agree that he will be very sneaky. And he had some serviceability across his career in different spurts, so it wouldn't be a surprise by any means for him to be serviceable. In fact, I was surprised when he got sent down, so I know he doesn't have much stuff, but he has a lot of different pitches, and he's shown some decent success at times in Oakland. And for this week, he's left-handed, and that's all that matters to me. (laughs) (laughs) Another guy I like coming up, and we'll get to see him face Houston on Sunday, but then he gets Pittsburgh who I just mentioned the highest strikeout rate over the past four weeks or so versus left-handed pitching. And uh, Tyler Anderson, we'll see him versus the Astros on Sunday. If things look even serviceable at all, I'll be more than happy to throw him out there against Pittsburgh next weekend. What are you seeing any better skill gains from Anderson? Since I know he had a trickier start to the year, I'm just curious if you're seeing a little bit more skills out of him lately. It's more about the matchup to me. It really is. Like I said, the guys with great skills at this point in the season aren't really going to be there. I think he's been okay. And he's 83% rostered in main events, but he is available in 86% of 12-teamers. That's one of those big drop-offs. Another guy that I have listed as a possibility, Christopher Sanchez for the week, is 100% rostered in main events, but available in over 70% of online championships. And this always intrigues me. I know a lot of it is 
the league size. But that's not that doesn't account for this big of a gap. I think it's in many cases one main event players in 15 team leagues are forced to look further ahead as mm-hmm. the 12 team league players are looking ahead but they're more concerned about the week the upcoming week right turning and burning and not wasting roster spot with statues or too many injured guys we want guys in our 12 teamers that we plan on using this week or want to have the option of getting him in the lineup on Friday. So especially with pitching, when there's guys with this big of a gap, I think a lots of times it's a, it's a, the main event players looking ahead a little more and seeing what we have coming up just because it's our only option. If you're looking for somebody for this week, they're not there. That is true. And I know with, with the main event, I think it's just becoming more and more of a feeling every year where teams are just even more hoarding the pitching. So just another reason for that tremendous gap of 71%, like you said. Yeah. And I got one more name. This is going to make some people cringe. I know it is. I know it is, but Patrick Corbin has been pretty darn good quite often this season. He still has his blowups. Those are coming. In fact, I think he's had at least three three starts this season where he's given up six earned runs or more in the outing. But for the most part, the rest of his outings have been pretty darn good. Of course, even with those blowups, his ERA is nearly a run and a half below last season's. I know ERA is not indicative of things to come, but it's just interesting to look at that. And find it pretty interesting. It's, yeah, Cincinnati was one of those blowups recently, and so was at San Diego. But he also threw seven shutout innings at Seattle and only gave up one earned run in seven innings versus Texas. So I don't think the matchups are what we want to look at with Patrick Corbin. It's just a matter of if he is your only option in a given (laughs) week, you plug your nose and let him roll and you hope it's not one of those big blow up starts because for 60% of his starts, he's, you want him in your lineup. The problem is even looking at matchups, I think it's even looking at results of the matchups, it would be really hard to have gotten his good starts and missed out on the bad ones. That's true. And like any pitcher that, is a fifth starter. They're not going to have good ratios, but like you said, they're going to have a lot of good starts thrown in there. It's just, for me, it's just, I'd rather go the ratio protecting classic Colin McHugh route just to not have to worry about the Russian roulette, but I I certainly get it in those really deep leagues. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm looking at him. I agree with you. 98% of the time, I'd rather throw a multi-inning reliever, even a setup guy in there. But if we're chasing wins, sometimes it's getting to that point in the year, right? 11 weeks of fantasy baseball to go. Getting to that point, if we're chasing wins, we're going to have to take some risks. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And he goes deep enough into those starts to 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 grab up those wins. And one guy that I wanted to point out, and he's available in 86% of online championships, is Steven Matz. He flashed an elevated velocity 
he was one of my favorite pitchers coming into the year because he's shown a good skill where he's been almost a full strikeout per inning and under three walks per nine coming off of an injury riddled year, which made him pretty cheap and pitches in a good ballpark with a good defense behind him and good run scoring. So if he's out there in a 12 team league, I would be interested in him. Even if he was my last pitcher, just to build up my depth a little bit. And if he was somehow available in a 15 teamer, I'd be fairly aggressive ish, but I really like Matt's rest of the season. If he can keep these velocity gains. Yeah. And he is available in at least a couple of main events. 96% 96% rostered, either two or three, he's available depending on how they're rounding on those percentages. You talked about ratio guys that you'd rather use than guys like Corbin. Uh, that's our next category. Who do you look to this week specifically with, with that in mind? If he's out there, I like uh, what Nick Pavetta's done since shifting into a bullpen role. Since he moved into that bullpen, he has a 34% strikeout rate and a 10% walk rate. It seems like something's clicked for him in Boston there. They're a pretty creative team. They went out and they gave an intriguing contract to a Yoshida. So if they feel like they can maximize Pavetta and, and put that opener in front of him, I like that. And in most formats, including a 12-teamer, if I was really not feeling the best about who was out there, if Pavetta was out there and he was the best I could do, I think that would be okay, potentially. So Roster Resource has Nick Pavetta starting on Monday at Oakland. I know you love that. And then he would get him over the weekend. He would be back at home versus the New York Mets, who haven't been the Mets that we thought they might be offensively. What do you think of that two-step if he's getting the start for those two? Oh, yeah. I would be more than happy to put that in in a 12-teamer. I would put that in, no doubt. And he's nice, a guy where I, I would not – yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> – I would keep him around, too, after it, too, so – not going to nice. cut him. Yeah, I think that I think it looks like the way it appears, Boston is going to be forced to put him back in the starting lineup at least for now. So, yeah, a couple of nice matchups coming up. Who you got in the ratio category? ERA, WHIP, kind of like you were talking. Guys that you would rather throw in there for a couple innings at a time rather than my Patrick Corbett. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tommy Canley of the Yankees. I think he's a fairly skilled reliever and he might run you into a save from time to time since they do like to use clay Holmes against the best opposing hitters. So if the best hitters come up in the eighth inning and Canely's available in the ninth, you might be able to sneak in a save. You can't depend on that, but that's a pure cherry on top of a highly skilled reliever. I like it. This is the type of category where even the top guys can be available in any league. This is one of those always check, right? The setup, the elite setup guys can be available. Brian Abreu, for example, that may be available in, in, in quite a few leagues. One guy that in this category, if I am in need to fill a spot that I'll definitely have in my waterfall bids and probably not all the way at the bottom, wouldn't mind getting him, is Oscar Razoban in Miami. And he's not rostered anywhere. <laughs> and using him in a ratio category might seem funny if people are pulling his name up as they're listening and seeing a 1.32 whip on the season. But it has gotten steadily better throughout the season. And over his last several weeks, it's the whip is under one. So is the ERA. And he's throwing 
four outs or more in about half of his appearances. So this is the kind of guy that he's not going to cost you anything, minimum bid, whether that's zero, $1, you can get him, throw him out there, get your three to four innings in the week. He is has been being used in higher leverage situations as of late. I don't expect him to get a save, but over the past three or four weeks, he's stumbled into three wins as a bonus with the great ratios he's putting up. So he's definitely a guy to to add to that long list so you don't have to spend any money on this type of player to add to your lineup. It's a good call out there. And one more quick one I'll throw in is Griffin Jacks. He's a lot more popular than Brazabon. But I like Jacks if I'm protecting those ratios. His strikeout rate is not as high as I would have hoped at only 25%. Heading into the year, he was a guy that I put on as many draft champions as I could in the 45th, 40th round whenever I could get him there. And I've used him a few times just because he's not going to burn you. He's going to probably lower your strikeouts compared to most starters or certainly a two-star pitcher, but certainly a guy where if your ratios are needing to be protect or lowered if you're sitting over 4.2 ERA and you just want to lower them by allowing him or a Brazabon type to mix in with just your elite starters, avoiding a blow up. That's where I would look with these two guys. Yep. Yep. That's that probably one, one of the staples of this show is this category. Adam and I both love using these not highly rostered relievers to help ratios hopefully snag a win. Some of them may snag a save. I think Griffin Jack's more of a possibility of snagging a save of the guys that we mentioned. Speaking of saves, this has been the worst year in quite some time. If my memory is not playing tricks on me, and I don't think it is, finding saves on the waiver wire throughout the season. As many pitchers as there are that get saves now, and as much turnover as there has been with the closer for many teams in recent years, there has not been a lot of ability, availability, excuse me, of new saves on the wire this year. So where are you looking this week if you're hoping to get some saves coming up? Interestingly enough, we have we have two guys listed that play for the same team. So I was excited to see this. That's, what, that's why you're going first. <laughs> yes, sir. So it was interesting to see your guy on there because if that turned out to be true, I think a lot of my draft and hold teams will be very happy since he was a big target for me, but has struggled. But my guy is Carlos Hernandez, premium velocity this year. He's parlayed it into really good strikeout stuff when as a starting pitcher, that was not the case. So seeing that kind of growth, even if it is as just a reliever is really cool because I did kind of like him as a starter, as a flyer. But this year, he's got nearly a 30% strikeout rate. Walks are very manageable. Sub one whip. I think this team potentially could get rid of Scott Barlow. In fact, it's probably likely at this point. And if they were to get a new closer in there, I think Carlos Hernandez would be my bet. But I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I know that's the consensus thinking right now. And Mm -hmm. Carlos Hernandez has been great out of the bullpen this season. Two years ago, he showed a lot of promise as a starter, and he was a, a big kind of late-round target for a lot of people in 2022 as a starter, especially in those draft-and-hold leagues early in the season, and it was a huge disappointment. And he's found his spot coming out of the bullpen, and the strikeout rate has skyrocketed. 
from what it was as a starter, as a reliever, even more so than we would expect, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so I understand. But after, prior to his struggles to start this season, I don't know anybody that didn't think Dylan Coleman wouldn't be the next Kansas City Royals closer. And yes, he had those struggles early in the year. And he's walking more guys than we like to see. A lot more guys, even at AAA. He's only had 19 innings at AAA, walking over 10 guys per nine. That's over a, that's over a walk per inning for those not doing the math real quick in their head. He's also striking out over 16 per nine in those 19 innings at AAA and keeping it up seven strikeouts in his six and two-thirds innings at the major league level. If he can find any control at all, he's the big strikeout guy. And I still think he can find his way into that role. And it very well could be a split between these guys if and when Barlow is traded. Neither one of these guys are in arbitration yet. And so they're both guys that want to keep those numbers low for their when arbitration does come around. So I could see neither one of these guys being given a majority of the opportunities and it be a nice split. Kansas City's offense has been extremely disappointing. We know how horrible they've been. They only won a game or two more than Oakland up until the All-Star break. And they're one of those teams that, as bad as they are, they win games in the second half. They've done that historically. When they were losing 100 games year in, year out, they give us – Royals fans hope in the second half. So I think there will be more saves available on the team basis. And I think Carlos Hernandez is going to be the more popular name that people are stashing over the next couple of weeks, anticipating the Scott Barlow trade, but I'm still not giving up on Dylan Cole. Certainly interesting there. I have one more possible spec guy. We've already heard a lot of rumors about the White Sox selling off different players and That'll remain to be. I think they more than likely will, but it's far from a guarantee. But if they do move Liam Hendricks, Kendall Graveman, I think you could see Gregory Santos enter into that closer discussion. He already has the elite fastball velocity. And although the strikeouts are not what you typically see out of a big closer, he controls the free passes. He does not give out too many walks. Those two combinations with their bullpen being pretty crappy otherwise i think he's the best of what they have left and i could see him getting into a save opportunity yeah i like this one a lot because we we're getting the point when we're stashing these guys in anticipation of something that might happen at the trade deadline where we only got to wait two weeks now to find out and you get the roster spot back if it doesn't work out good point there absolutely love it the wild card category anybody for any reason any category that didn't quite fit somewhere else, or we had other players other in other spaces, anybody that you would consider a wild card that, that you're looking at for the upcoming week. One guy that I, I've been wanting to get for the past at least two weeks and maybe even a little bit longer is Jose Urquidy. I was going to get him last week, and I could have gotten him for a dollar, but 
I figured I would go for Nick Martinez instead to give myself an extra pitcher in this half week, which turned out to be a mistake since Jose Urquidy skipped all the way ahead to AAA for his rehab. He may only do one, probably not one, but he may only give you two starts there before he's activated. So that could be a very short stash. I think he's viable in 12-team leagues. In 2022, he won 13 out of his 28 starts. Almost half of his starts, he wins. Career whip of 1.13. So to me, that sounds like a 12-team arm, and those are really hard to get. Pitching's even tough in the 12-teamers this year. Yeah, he's already 77% rostered in the 12-teamers. Oh, no, that's main event. Excuse me, 77% main event. So he'd be available in more of the 12-team leagues. And with the news that... to He's beginning his rehab assignment this weekend. I agree. It's only going to be a couple of rehab starts, which means you're only stashing him for a week if if you grab him this weekend. I love it. I got a couple of guys here, and they're complete stashes. You got to have room for either of my guys. One, Bobby Dobek is tearing up AAA once again. I know a lot of people are optimistic about what Casas has done recently for Boston and hoping for good things going forward. But even in last place in the AL East, Boston is not out of this playoff race yet. And so if it doesn't work out for Casas soon, I think Dahlbeck might get another shot. On the opposite end of that coin, I tweeted out a couple of weeks before the All-Star break that there were only four teams that were double-digit games out of a playoff spot. At the All-Star break, only one team joined them, and that's the St. Louis Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals are one of five teams that are double-digit spots out of a playoff spot. I don't think it's crazy to think they might trade Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. I highly doubt they trade both of them, but they could trade one of them among other guys. And Luke and Baker is destroying baseballs at AAA. He doesn't really have a spot at the moment, especially with Brendan Donovan leading off and filling that DH spot most days. But if St. Louis throws in the towel on this season and tries to, to build for the future by letting one or two of their superstars go, we might see Luke and Baker for a couple months the second half. Man, that's a really good call out there because I don't think anybody's remotely thinking about him. And I again, believe he's I, the minor league leaguer in home runs right now for the season. Really? Yeah. yeah, I. he definitely has power in spades, and Fangraphs gives him a 70 raw power, so I don't care who you are. That's going to grab my attention. And he's I think not they a, gave him a 60 game power as well. Yeah, they did, and... His strikeouts, not going to hurt him too bad. I think that's a pretty good call. It's triple A, but he's brought the strikeouts down a little bit. It's Mm -hmm. still not great, but it's down enough that the projections have him at under 30% strikeout rate. And he's a guy that I think earlier in his career that probably would not have been the case. I I would agree with that. Yeah, that's a fascinating one there, especially if St. Louis does get aggressive. It's For me, as a person that's followed them really closely a lot over the years, it's really challenging figuring out what they're going to do, kind of like you alluded to, but they had that big announcement that they're going to make some moves, and I tend to think it's going to be fringe moves here and there, rentals going, but you never know if they get 
bowled over by a team that thinks one of those two guys is going to be the missing piece to a potential World Series contending team, they could get a huge haul and say yes to it. Yeah, Goldschmidt's only signed for one more year, so definitely, I think, bigger possibility than Arenado moving. Yes. Still, I don't think it's likely at all. Something more likely would be any of the more fringe moves you're talking about and somehow get Brendan Donovan out of that DH role. And then I could see, I know Juan Yepes is still there, but maybe they would get it. That's why he's a wild card. (laughs) That's why he's a wild card. We're just hoping. My last quick guy here, I've seen this guy float out onto tons of waiver wires is Alejandro Kirk. It's been a disaster of a year for him and he's battled various ailments, but if you look, his plate discipline is still intact, which I love to see. His exit velocity numbers have taken quite a dip. He's not impacting the ball, which is a huge problem because he's 50% ground ball rate. But based on steamer and the bat projections, they have him both north of 270 batting average. And if you're taking a dead spot at catcher, he's a hell of an upgrade in my mind. So I don't think he should be available in 15-team two-catcher leagues personally, even though he's had a bad year. And I think even in a 12-team league, I would give him a look if I had a catcher need. Yeah, Kirk has been really interesting. And I'm pulling something up really quick here because I feel like he did this to some extent last season as well. And then really came on in the second half. No, I guess not. No, I was wrong. (laughs) Looks like he actually (laughs) slowed down in the second half last year. So this is more than just this season. Yeah, perplexing, as good as he was for how long as he was. And like you said, he's not the near the level, but uh, along the same line of thinking of what you were saying with Bryce Harper, especially in the deeper two-catcher leagues, I, I got to think better things are coming for Alejandro Kirk. Yeah, so, it's just been a surprise to see a player of that caliber just sitting out there. And not one random league, but several of my leagues and Unfortunately, I have better options, so I don't have to think about them too much, but somebody should get them. Yeah, definitely. So you have any final thoughts, anything we didn't cover, anything just in general you'd like to bring up as far as second half strategies go and finishing out this final 11 weeks of the 2023 fantasy baseball season? Really, my only final thoughts are just activity creates opportunity, whether that's maximizing your last pitcher on your online championship to a Steven Matz who you might be able to use for a two-start week or whether it's looking at a decision between two or three guys and taking that next step on that start set to look at your category needs and your standings and just all the activity you can do is going to create an opportunity since people will tail off. People will not be as closely setting their lineups because they're worn down from a long marathon season or shifting into a, another sport that we're not going to talk about on this podcast right now. But uh, yeah, it is one of those things where even if you don't have the greatest models out there, because there's so many complex models that you can take a look at or uh, different ways of thinking, just really grinding out every period and looking at what you can do to better your team is going to really take you far as my last point. I agree a hundred percent. We had the major holidays have come and gone for the summer but uh, there's still a lot of summer vacations. That That's why we're here this week. Adam get making his first trip ever, I believe he said, to Wrigley Field this weekend. So if they're 
ever was an excuse that we can we can let someone get away with on a baseball podcast. It's making their first trip to Wrigley Field, for sure. Hope hope Adam is having a good time. Thank you once again, Lucas, for joining me. And hopefully we threw out a few names that can help some people out for this weekend and possibly going forward. And that's going to wrap it up for episode 123 of On The Wire. You can follow me at Hastings Kevin. You can follow Adam at 80 grade, all spelled out. This is going to be, excuse me, you can also follow the pod itself at on the wire pod i don't know why i had such a hard time spitting that out but once again thank you so much lucas for joining us this week follow you at lucasberry 33 and after all of that i am kevin hastings on behalf of adam Howe, spending his weekend at wrigley field thanks for listening and bid you goodbye mm-hmm.